WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Burnett. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, WUB's reporters explain the two statewide issues on the ballot with the election coming next week. Issue one is the Community Safety Amendment, and this amendment proposes that when setting bail, judges must consider public safety. So issue two is an amendment to the state constitution that would prohibit a person to vote if they are not a United States citizen. And beloved fall traditions return to the region this year, like the Honey for the Heart Parade. Seeing everybody else in the community along the street, like, Uh, students dressed up for Halloween, people with their kids dressed up for trick-or-treat, like just families and faces and smiles. These stories and more, right here on The Outlet. The City of Athens solar panel project aims to power the city more sustainably. WUB reporter Juliana Colant spoke with city officials about the timeline for the project. Athens' plans for installing solar panels aims to break ground this winter. The project has been in the works for three years, and financial motions are in final stages at City Council, says Councilmember Sam Crowell. I'm very confident that this will pass with flying colors because uh, we are a city that is very concerned with the environment. The city is working in partnership with Third Sun Kokosing Solar to power three high-energy-consuming areas, the community center, the wastewater treatment plant, and the city pool parking lot. Mayor Steve Patterson sees solar energy as key to helping Athens as a city reach its environmental goals. You know, we have pushed forward with reducing our carbon emissions by 50% by the year 2030. Um, I think that the solar array is going to push us well beyond reducing our carbon emissions um, more than 50%. Over 30 years, the system is expected to offset the carbon emissions equivalent to 4.5 million miles produced by the average passenger car. But the solar systems will do more than just help the environment. It saves money. Long term for the city of Athens, says Jeff Greenfield, director of solar strategy for Third Sun Kokosing Solar. Building a solar power plant like this costs an investment up front, but then the fuel that provides the actual energy over time uh, just comes out of the sky for free. The money saved means more funds that can be put back into the city for other projects. Solar panel installation hopes to wrap up construction in the spring. For the size of the city of Athens, it's a pretty substantial project and something that uh, the city of Athens, the mayor, the city council can all be pretty proud of. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Juliana Colan. To stay up to date with the timeline for construction, visit the City of Athens website at www.ci.athens.oh.us. The Athens Farmer's Market is in its new winter location, keeping local produce and creations easily accessible. WUB reporter Emma Dallenmeyer says the new market is adjusting well to its new home. The Athens Farmer's Market is home to a new location on East State Street as of Wednesday. The year-round market has been searching for a permanent and affordable location for decades, and it has finally found one at the Athens Community Center, 
which boasts many solar panels in a vast open space. Tanya Heyer is the market manager for the Athens Farmers Market. You can expect exactly the same thing as you got at the other location, and that's the best part about it. Um, we have the same vendors, we have the same atmosphere, environment, energy. This year is the market's 50th anniversary and the vendors and coordinators plan on keeping tradition alive even at a new location. My family was here years ago when it was down down just a little bit in the rec center, by the old rec center, but um, we're still in Athens, we still got our customers, we'll be fine. That was Eric Wagner, the owner of Wagner Fruit Farm. The market will be open the same hours of 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays, but after Thanksgiving will only be open on Saturdays. But I hope everybody comes down and checks it out. And, uh, we're going to take feedback. There's wrinkles to work out, but we're going to work through them before we get into a really busy season again next year. The Athens Farmers Market will be open this coming Saturday in addition to the Athens Art Guild's Art Market, which is making the move to the community center as well. Reporting for The Outlet, I'm Emma Dahlenmayer. The Farmer's Market is open Saturdays from 9 a.m. to noon, year-round, and Wednesday 9 a.m. to noon until November 23rd. The 2022 election is next week, and in Ohio, there are two issues on the ballot that amend the state's constitution. Issue 1 is about bail, and Issue 2 is about non-citizens being able to vote. WUB reporter Jessica Stelzer has been following Issue 1 through the election season. So, what is Issue 1? Issue 1 is the Community Safety Amendment, and this amendment proposes that when setting bail, judges must consider public safety, including a person's criminal record, their likelihood to return to court, and the seriousness of the crime into consideration when setting bail. So why was it proposed? Yeah, so for years there's been a bipartisan legislative push for bail reform, both on the federal and the state level. In January of 2022, the Supreme Court of Ohio actually upheld the decision um, in Du Bois v. McGuffey, which said that bail could only be based on how much was necessary for someone to come back to court. Um, and a major theme in this case was to eliminate the unequal penalization between rich and poor people when setting that bail, and also just a fight back against incarceration um, against people who have not yet been found guilty. And so that case also changed the guidelines for judges setting bail, and it also immediately killed all of those bail reform bills that were in our state legislation. There was mixed backlash, um, but especially those from prosecutors and judges because this put a limit on how they could um, consider bail. We see that there was a shift in how we, how we brought people back to court that didn't revolve around money. And so we even see that in Athens County, actually, in the summer, they... Um, they proposed new ankle monitoring systems so that people could still be awaiting trial from the comfort of their home and being able to take care of their families and such without being stuck in jail while also knowing that they would be coming back to court and knowing that they were public safety was still being considered in that way. So why are people supporting this? Some people are supporting this, including prosecutors and judges, and they feel that the decision in DuBose v. McGuffey limited their ability to keep dangerous suspects in jail. And I actually attended the League of Women Voters of Athens County, 
they held a forum um, last week. And on one side of the debate was Lewis Tobin, executive director of the Ohio Prosecuting Attorneys Association, says that the proposed amendment gives discretion back to judges and prosecutors when it comes to dealing with and setting bail for dangerous defendants. Um, he said during that uh, forum that, to paraphrase, he said that DuBose v. McGuffey by default says that we have to, do, to release people who are terrorizing their neighborhoods without considering the public safety and the harm that they're causing in those neighborhoods. And so that's what most people feel that are voting yes, I would say. It comes from a place of wanting to keep our public safe, and that's why it's called the Community Safety Amendment. And so why are others against it? Um, most others that are against this proposed amendment feel that this is not the ideal way to go about changing our bail system in Ohio. On the other side of that debate with the Women League of Voters was Patrick Higgins from the ACLU of Ohio. He says, we think that's it's unjust that money can determine their freedom. We think that it's unfair that a person can purchase their freedom. And so that's what I would say is the biggest argument against this bill. So what does a yes vote mean and what does a no vote mean? A yes vote means that our state constitution um, would be changed. It would have a new amendment added to it that would say that judges must consider public safety. And someone who is voting no on this amendment, um, they don't necessarily disagree with the fact that judges should be considering public safety when setting bail, but they also don't think that this amendment, this proposed amendment, should be added to our state constitution. And that was WUB reporter Jessica Stelzer. Also coming up on the ballot is issue two. WUB reporter Victoria Niepsch is covering the issue going into the election season. So what is issue two? So issue two is an amendment to the state constitution that would prohibit a person to vote in local elections if they are not a United States citizen. And basically what the proposal would do is change the language in the Ohio constitution so that only, quote, only a citizen of the United States, end quote, can vote at any state or local election held in the state. And can you explain exactly what voting yes and no means? Yeah, good question, because that's actually a bit confusing. So by voting yes, you're not voting yes to allow non-citizens to vote. You're actually allowing the government to restrict their right to vote. So if you vote yes on the ballot, that means you do not want non-U.S. citizens to vote in local elections. If you do want non-U.S. citizens to be allowed to vote in local elections, you should vote no on the ballot. So can non-citizens vote anywhere in Ohio right now? Actually, no. At the moment, nowhere in Ohio are non-citizens allowed to vote. And that is due to a preemptive amendment uh, that followed a ballot issue from Yellow Springs, which is a village just outside Dayton, Ohio, um, with about like 3,800 people living there. And about 27 of their inhabitants qualify as non-U.S. citizens. So... Um, what they wanted to do in the village was to allow those people to vote in local elections. And so they approved a charter amendment, um, but that was stopped by um, Frank LaRose, um, who asserted that the program violated both the state and federal constitutions. Yeah, so Secretary of State Frank LaRose. And so what about other states? 
So at the moment, there's six other states, um, which are Alabama, Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Minnesota, and North Dakota, and they explicitly prohibit um, non-U.S. citizens from voting in local elections because they adopted the only citizens clause in their um, state constitutions. But there are 15 municipalities in the U.S. that um, allow non-citizen voting. And so 11 of those are in Maryland. And then there's also New York, San Francisco, and two towns in Vermont. And, for example, in San Francisco, non-citizen parents and guardians of children who go to school are allowed to vote in school board races. And so in Ohio, where do the state's political parties generally seem to fall on the issue? Well, generally, Republicans seem to be in favor of uh, restricting non-citizens' right to vote in local elections, whereas Democrats are more um, against the issue and against restricting that access. So, you know, supporters of the amendment, um, including Secretary of State Frank LaRose, uh, their argumentation is basically that American elections, no matter the size, should be available to only American citizens. And um, they say that it reassures voters that the elections are secure and not influenced by people who don't hold an American citizenship. But then again, people who are against the issue, they say that, you know, those people that are non-U.S. citizens, but they might be green card holders, they live in those communities, they work there, they are taxpayers in those communities, but they don't have any chance to actually vote, you know, on the things that concern their community in their daily lives. So, um, yeah, that's basically the main argument of the opponents of the issue, that it would just be unfair to expect people who live there and who are directly affected by those issues to not have any, any say in, let's say, school board elections or local politics. And that was WUB reporter Victoria Niemsch. The village of Coolville may not be the village of Coolville much longer. Voters determine whether or not the village should be dissolved on the ballot next week. Emma Dahlenmeyer has covered the issue this election season. The village of Coolville may no longer be a village. That is, if residents of Coolville vote yes on issue 7 come election day. Coolville has a population of around 500 people, making it a small village and often difficult to fill a city's typical governmental duties. I do know that there are some people who want to dissolve it, and I do know that there are some people who want to continue as a village. And, you know, I don't know how the um, breakdown will happen um, on November, but it's just, you know, it's a choice that the residents have to make in terms of weighing. Um, like I said, the issues of, of local control over local issues, how they want those to come out. That was Jonathan Robe, the village solicitor. The local issues in question are control over water usage, utilities, electric, sewers, streetlights, and streets. And Coolville residents are torn if they want to give up or maintain control. The divide is clear with signs in the village urging to either vote yes or vote no. The one thing that, that maybe I could say about the outcome, however the vote comes out doesn't mean that any issues will go away or be solved. The village will continue and the residents will continue to need to address those issues, whether it's in terms of sewer service, water sewer service, street lights, street repair, um, just basic you know, village government. Those issues won't go away. It's it's who will 
be in position to decide those issues? Will it continue to be the village or will that be given up to another entity? Robe said regardless if the majority of people vote yes or no on issue 7, Coolville will still be a village because the dissolution process could potentially take years. If the village is dissolved, it will be dissolved into Troy Township. Reporting for The Outlet, I'm Emma Dolomere. Another fall at Libby's Pumpkin Patch is in the books after selling pumpkins, running hayrides, and hand-churning pumpkin ice cream. WUB reporter Taylor Mondragon took in all the fall fun. For eight years, Libby's Pumpkin Patch in Albany has welcomed Ohioans to its family fun festivities in the fall. Community member Pat Barstow reminisces on the years she has come to Libby's as her grandson finds his way through Max's Ohio-style corn maze. Yeah, I love this place, so... Well, everyone needs to come to Libby's Pumpkin Patch and start their own memories and come every year. Since the last week of September, people have been celebrating the start of fall at Libby's by picking pumpkins, hopping on the hayride, and celebrating mini victories at the corn maze. At the front of the farm, Thad Dye is eager to provide more background on the pumpkin patch as one of the family members involved in the operation of the festivities. It was actually bought on Halloween of 1879. My wife and I used to own this farm and we farmed it, but it's the kids now. And I have the farm next door. Started very small and worked up to this, uh, just selling a few extra pumpkins and then it ballooned into all this. Co-owner Kevin Lewis noticed the newfound interest and searched for ways to expand. And pe pe people showed up and they're like, well, what else do you have to do? And like, can we just go out in the field and pick? I'm like, I just washed them and brought them in. So next year we, we they went out in the field and they're like, what else do you have to do? Uh, so it's like, well, I can take you in a small hayride out of the field. I'm like, great. Next year, what else do you have to do? So we then expanded you know, into hay bale creatures, you know, corn maze, better than these big slides over the hill we have now and all the photo opportunities. Hey, Pop, look at me. Cheese. As the community flooded in, the farm needed a name. The family decided to name it after their then 10-year-old daughter, Libby, who is now a freshman at Ohio University. It's just like been my home, like I'll come home like from OU and like I'll see everything like, oh, I'm just home. Like a lot of people are like, oh, we love it here. And I was like, I'm glad that you love it. Cause like, it's like I get to share a piece of my home and like what I love doing with everybody else. After a full day of activities, Libby's also boasts a selection of local food trucks to satisfy everyone's cravings. Six-year-old Addison Fisher and seven-year-old Jake Martin excitedly rattle off the delicious snacks they enjoyed throughout the day. French fries. Um, I ate pizza bites and pizza and brownie. And I, and I also had pumpkin ice cream. At the end of the day, community members leave with full bellies, happy hearts, and a cart full of pumpkins. For The Outlet, I'm Taylor Mondragon. Libby's Pumpkin Patch returns next year. The Honey for the Heart Parade marched down Court Street, bringing bright colors to every corner of the bricks during Halloween weekend. WUB reporter Victoria Neebs helps you discover what the parade is all about. Giant puppets, vibrant costumes, and lots of balloons filled Court Street in Athens on Saturday as the Honey for the Heart Parade kicked off Halloween weekend. 
The annual parade is organized by Passionworks Studio and has become a staple in the city. The organizers want to bring joy to people. Passionworks Studio Executive Director and Founder Patty Mitchell explains what Honey for the Heart is about. Maybe a manifestation of the spirit of happiness. Established in 2012, this year marks the 10th anniversary of Honey for the Heart. And it's the first time since the pandemic that everything is back to normal. Everyone is welcome at the event. Passionworks artists and volunteers work all through the month of October to create beautifully crafted costumes, which are environmentally friendly. And so people bring in all kinds of stuff, and then we magically blend it together. But Honey for the Heart is much more than just a parade. It's also a really important part of community life. Passionworks studio staff artist Carrie Summerford loves how the event brings people together. So we have like this great community coming into Central Venue and making the puppets. My favorite part of the parade, I think, is seeing everybody else in the community along the street, like uh, students dressed up for Halloween, people with their kids dressed up for trick-or-treat, like just families and faces and smiles. Once again, the organizers and participants of Honey for the Heart turned the city into a colorful festival that celebrates life, bringing much joy to the spectators of the parade. 2023 will mark the 25th anniversary of Passionworks Studio, and the artists have lots of plans for the future. Passionworks Studio is always happy to welcome new members. For more information on upcoming events, visit their website at www.passionworks.org. I'm Victoria Niemsch for The Outlet. Those interested in getting involved with Passionworks can get in touch with them through their website or social media. Midweek Maction is back in Athens. Ohio football is rolling after a statement win on national TV. I'm joined by WUB Sports Director Aiden Crowley. Man, Taylor, it probably went as well as Tim Albin and this team could have hoped for because they came out and they made a statement for the rest of the MAC with a 45-24 victory. And they came out on fire, 17-0 in the first quarter. And Curtis Rourke was doing Curtis Rourke things last night. He was uh, taking care of business, and he found his man, Sam Weglus, who has been phenomenal for the team this season. Their connection is really impressive because Sam's coming from Ohio State this year, and they just kind of clicked instantly. And I know Brian Hartline, who's the wide receiver coach for Ohio State, he was just gushing about Sam. And then he goes out and he has six catches, two touchdowns, 131 yards. Uh, it was just a big game overall, all sides of the ball. Um, and when talking to Tim post game, he says every aspect of the game was working, even the crowd. Um, it was a really big crowd, obviously. It's a fun environment. Um, and now Ohio's in the driver's seat for a MAC East Championship. If they take care of business these next three weeks, they'll be heading to Detroit for a chance to play for a MAC Championship, something that they haven't done since 2016. And this team is firing on all cylinders right now, but it doesn't get any easier for them because they have their big game next week at Miami in the Battle of the Bricks. And I know Tim Albin is just really looking forward to that game, especially with their new defensive coordinator coming from Miami. So if there wasn't enough drama building up for that game already, I know that Spence Nowitzki, Tim Albin, the coaching staff, uh, they're really hyped up with where this team is right now. And right, it looks like the sky's the limit. 
Absolutely. And also, I remember a chant last night, um, bowl game? <laughs> oh, yeah. Ohio. How can I forget, Taylor? Ohio's going bowling. Uh, it's really big for them because it's their first time since 2019. So obviously with their sixth win, they've locked in 500 or better. At worst, they can finish 500, uh, which makes them bowl eligible. Obviously, it's a little too early to tell where they might be, but just the fact that they're playing one more game at the end of the season just shows how talented this team is, how well they're playing. The defense has really turned it around. It just feels like the team is just melding right now and really coming together, Um, and it looks like they're trying to do something special. So obviously they're worried about these next three weeks, but having that extra game in your back pocket at the end of the year, I mean, you, you can't be mad about that. And so the season just ended for Ohio soccer, and it was another big year for Abby Townsend. Yeah, Taylor, you're totally right. Uh, obviously, she was doing her thing this season. She got named to an All-Mac team, which is typical for her career, which is a privilege to say something like that about a player. Uh, she was really the heart and soul of this team, and unfortunately for Aaron Rodgers and his team, they're going to have to try and go on without her. That's just the nature of collegiate athletics. You're going to lose great athletes, but when speaking with Aaron Rodgers post game, he's excited about his younger team. He's excited about how they're recruiting, how they're able to bring new players in and get them kind of in the program assimilated. And they're working and looking for somebody to take that next step and create their own legacy. They got some big shoes to fill, though, because Abby Townsend wraps up her career second in games played, second in goals, and fourth overall in points. She leaves quite the legacy in the green and white. And she's just overall a very pleasant person to be around. She's uh, always super nice with her teammates and stuff. So she's somebody who does it well on the field and off the field. But again, that loss to Miami, one nothing, was a crucial one and obviously cuts their season a little shorter than they wanted. But they'll look ahead to new things next season, a new look, and we'll see what Aaron Rodgers and his team can roll out uh, coming next next fall. And that was WUB Sports Director Aiden Crowley. November brings us further into fall, and with that comes some weird weather. Aaron Ashley is WUB's lead forecaster. How would you describe what we're seeing, Aaron? We've hit that time of the year where you are bundled up in the morning, dressed to the nines, and by noon, you're sweating like none other. And it's hard to kind of tell when to turn on the heat and stuff. And there's days when it rains and it's like 50 degrees versus like this weekend, which I think I saw that it's going to climb all the way up to the high 70s. Isn't that crazy? I was doing like earlier, I was doing an almanac sort of graphic for a show you know, to show the record high versus the record low. And this was on November 1st. And I found that the warmest that somewhere in our region has gotten on November 1st is 88 degrees. 88 degrees. We're definitely on the warm side, aren't we? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, Saturday's forecast, this upcoming Saturday, is climbing up to 78 degrees so far, which is insane. So why is it this warm this late in the year? There are so many things that go into that, if I'm honest. Um, to keep it kind of simple, uh, especially with these the past couple of days, we've seen high pressure come into the area. 
And with that pocket of high pressure coming in, what, what happens with that is that the sky's clear, and so there aren't any clouds. And clouds kind of serve as they shield us from the sun's rays, so you don't have a lot of radiation coming in from the sun. But typically, what clouds also do is they block radiation from the Earth's surface as well. And so if you just get rid of clouds altogether, you have all of the sun coming in versus like you do have that radiation still coming out, but there are higher level clouds that the high pressure system won't clear out. And so those will actually serve as kind of like insulation for the earth, for lack of a better word. And so basically we just have a lot of heat stored in the atmosphere at this point in time. And sometimes around this time of year, we could get as cold as 11 degrees. And sometimes you could be climbing up into the low 80s. It really just depends on what's going on. So what goes into predicting the temperature around this time of year? Well, you know, with forecasting in general, you do have to consider a lot of different factors and methods. There really isn't a flawless way to do it. But it comes with a lot of background knowledge of certain phenomena, like how I mentioned high pressure clearing up the sky, and then you have cold fronts, which are invading pockets of cold air. There's just a lot of little tidbits and phenomena to kind of know about. And then you also have weather models, which are just mathematical and physics-based formulas that computers luckily can do for us. You take all of those things into consideration and you process and create your own forecast given all of that. But it really starts with that foundational knowledge. So what's it look like right now? Right now as we speak, like I said, we got that high pressure coming into the the area. So skies should start opening up, let in that sun, which will heat us up some more. Like you mentioned, this weekend will be pretty warm until a cold front comes in later on Sunday, in which we will get back to those chilly temps we all know and love this time of year. Gotta love the variety in November. And that was WUB lead forecaster Aaron Ashley. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The outlet is produced by me, Taylor Burnett. We're edited by Atish Baidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to the outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. You can find us online at WUB.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Newswatch underscore WOUB. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio. 